Welcome to the Legends Lounge. I'm Trill Withers, and with me in the lounge today, we have former South Lake Seahawk and Duke Blue Devil. He is a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame and the College Basketball Hall of Fame, and he's currently vice chair of the board for the Atlanta Hawks. We got Grant Hill with us. Grant, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me, Trill. Of course. Of course. Uh, now, we did this a long time ago. We, we talked in, it was August 2020, like smack dab, middle of the pandemic, middle of quarantine, everything. So it's only been two years since, since then, but feels longer. So how, how are things going for you? Wow. Yeah, it has only been it's two years. Only, only two years, but a long, long two years. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. And that was... Um... A lot has obviously happened then. Um, certainly grateful that, you know, we're, we're kind of getting back to normal a bit, certainly with sporting events and outings and things of that nature. There's, you hope, you know, and I'm hesitant to say this, but you hope that uh, the worst is behind us. But uh, I'll tell you this, I have learned since then how to operate uh, virtually. And so uh, <laughs> the difficulties that I had maybe two years ago logging on are, are not the same. A uh, lot more ease uh, after two years of, of being on on virtually. So you're the you're the expert now, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I went from a novice to now I'm at the genius bar. So I'm okay, not, yes, progress, progress. progress. Okay. There you go. <laughs> All right, first question I'd like to ask our legends: Can you tell me about your welcome to the NBA moment? <sighs> you know. You know, my, 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 my welcome to the NBA um, moment was, was interesting because, you know, I, I came in right away and, and had success and really was exceeding my own expectations. But my, my second uh, game, we played in Atlanta and we won the game. Uh, and I had good numbers that game, but a guy named Ken Norman, who was from Chicago, they called him Snake. Uh, he was with the Hawks, and I think he scored 30 points in that game, and I had, like, maybe 24. And, and and a lot of those points he scored were on me. But I think what I realized was that you know, he wasn't a household name. You know, he wasn't a guy that was a, 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 an all-star, all-star or right. top player. But it just showed me that anyone in this league is capable of having a big moment or a big night. And you have to respect everyone. Yes, it's easy to get up for the the, the elite players, the all-stars. Right, the primetime games. Yeah, but anyone and everyone is capable uh, of having an all-star moment or an all-star game. And so you have to respect that. Uh, and that was maybe an unconventional sort of welcome to the league moment. But that mm-hmm. was sort of, I realized that everybody can play. Right. And you got to bring it if you're going to, you know, survive in this league. When would you say you felt like you belonged? Because like you mentioned, you did have, you know, early success off the bat, really. So when was it immediately or when would you say you you felt like you belonged? Because you mentioned exceeding the expectations, you know, you'd even set for yourself. You know, I think I I knew I belonged right away on my team, you know, from Mm -hmm. from day one. I mean, I just... You know, you, you come out there and I realize, OK, I'm able to do certain things and have an impact uh, on the court. I think in terms of belonging 
at the elite level, the all-star level. I had success right, right away. Um, and that was combined with sort of a lot of attention that was um, directed towards me, a lot of hype and all these different things that were going on. Uh, but I also, I think I recognized that I still, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And to me, I think year three, I, I had two years under my belt. At that point, I had been an all-star my first two years. I was on the Olympic team after my first, my second year. I think at that point, I felt like I belonged in that conversation with the elite players, even though I was in that conversation before that, but <laughs> I didn't feel myself that I really belonged until that moment, my third year. Mm. So would you say that like in general, like just from your consensus of talking to guys, is it about like a two year stepping into year three thing to get acclimated to because i i'm sure you can speak to that there's so much more than we see in terms of getting accustomed to the nba lifestyle yeah i mean i think it's different for everyone i mean i think it just takes it takes a year more than anything just to understand what the nba is all about uh the games the travel the totality of the experience um having that year under your belt it, it you know, it, it helps you in terms of, okay, now I know what to really prepare for. I know what to expect in year two. But some people, it takes five, six years. I mean, it just depends on the environment, depends on the situation you're in, the opportunities that are in front of you, who's coaching you, who are the teammates around you, do they complement your skill set? Um, but even the, the really great ones who came in right away and made a huge splash, I would venture to say that, you know, by year three, year four, they really kind of start to figure things out and understand the game in the, in the, in the NBA uh, far greater than they did in year one. Mm. And we're about at prior quarter, about 33% of the way through the NBA season. In terms of like an individual season, how long do you think it takes for a team to kind of find their footing? Yeah, you know, I, I always feel, I mean, certainly now on this side of things and ownership, I feel like you need like a, a 25, 20 to 25 game sample size. Right. Where, you know, enough basketball teams can kind of, they, they kind of become who they become. And, and so in 25 games, you can start to evaluate uh, each team, uh, each player on the team individually and then collectively as a group. What's the identity of this team? What's the personality? What are the strengths? What are the, the flaws? Uh, obviously, things happen. We, you know, in Atlanta, um, you know, back in I guess 2020, we got off to a horrible start. We had a coaching change mid-season, and then we got hot, you know, and, and we made it all the way to the conference finals. So that happens, you know. Teams will will gel. Teams will all of a sudden they'll figure things out. Maybe you might make a trade that sparks a certain, you know, certain win streak or play. Um, but, you know, I, I think by and large, for the most part, 25 games is enough of a sample size to really understand this team and understand what is potential and, uh, and what, you know, what, what it can ultimately be and ultimately what it is. I was. I feel like it could be for better, or for worse, right? Because if it's after 20, 25 games and things are not looking so hot for a team, as a player, is it hard to look around and be like, okay, maybe we're like we got a lot of season left ahead of us, but we we don't have the expectation. We're not hitting the expectations we set for ourselves. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it can be tough. You know, it can be – but, you know, I think athletes, teams, you always feel like you have a chance. You know, you compete and you suit up to win. And, um, and you always know that you're one win away from a win streak. And so I think when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to sort of have the benefit of that perspective. I think when you're in management, your ownership – you're a little bit removed from the emotional day to day. Definitely. Um, I think it's easier to sort of evaluate things. Sometimes it's hard to do when, when you're in it. Um, but it's, um, you know, it, it, it's fascinating. But every team has its own journey, has its own walk, has its own path, and uh, and every season's different. And that's the beauty of the NBA and I think team sports overall. Now, I'd like to go back with all our legends now. you Again, coming out of South Lakes, you're looking at a, a couple schools, and the school you attended was not one of them. So how did they – what do you remember about the whole recruiting process coming out of high school? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good process. Started getting recruited my freshman year in high school. Uh, I think by mid-year, mid, mid my junior year, it came down to five schools. It was Duke. Uh, Carolina, Georgetown, Michigan, and Virginia. Mm. So I think pretty early I kind of had narrowed it down and um, kind of had a real sense of what schools I was interested in and was thinking seriously considering. Uh, I grew up a big fan of North Carolina and Georgetown, but, but Duke was emerging as a program and certainly Coach K was recruiting me. So I was getting an opportunity to get to know him. And right. in the process, you know, as the recruiting went went on, it just became you know more apparent that Duke um, was a school and the program was was a program that I could identify with and wanted to be a part of. And so, um, but you know, two years before that, you know, my sophomore year in high school, uh, I'm not sure I really considered Duke that seriously. So credit to Coach K, you know, credit to him and you know how incredible of a recruiter and what is yeah, what is it about him that because he he gets a lot of guys like to you know sign that same letter of, of intent. So what is it about him, his recruiting? You know, I think part of what makes him a great coach is also what makes him a great recruit recruiter. Um, he just has an ability to connect with people and an ability to get complete buy-in. You know, part of coaching it's strategy, it's making decisions, it's putting in plays, it's all the technical. But it's also getting people to believe in what you're, what you're, you know, what you're teaching or what you're saying or what you're preaching. Right. And he has a way of just getting people to buy in. And whether that's buy in as a recruiter and believing in the program and his vision for you and his and the teams, or it's vision in terms of how do we execute, how do we, how do we win this next game? You know, what, what, how do, what do we need to do? To win, what do we need to do to win this season and win a championship? Um, so, his ability to connect um, and, and 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 inspire, you know, and, and bring people together is really in part what makes him a genius. Mm. Now, you you get there, you're dropped onto a team that has made the Final Four two straight years, I believe, but hasn't gotten over that hump yet. So, what what was it like for you just being there? 17, 18, 19 years old and being dropped into a team competing at that high of a level? Yeah, I mean, the year before I arrived, you know, the Duke team had lost to Vegas and lost, you know, 
was a, it was a, in the championship game. In the championship right. game, the NCAA tournament it was an embarrassing loss. That team had three seniors returning. Excuse me, three seniors who were, were uh, graduating, and we came in with five freshmen. We had a bunch of players who had been role players on the team before. So, you know, my own personal expectations weren't that high. But I still remember the first day of practice and Coach K, his expectations he wrote on the board were 1991 NCAA national champions. And Vegas, the team that had beaten Duke the year before, had returned everybody from that championship <laughs> team. So our coach was a little delusional in that moment. But, <laughs> but um you know, he, he established what the goal, what the objective was early, day one. And then everything we did that year um, was, was about getting back to that moment, to winning a championship, preparing us for the journey. Um, it all tied back to something related to winning. And, um, and so that was um, quite, you know, quite the experience and quite the journey and quite the ride. Mm. And we think back, like that was – Coach K's first ring. So we think of him as Coach K now, right? But he wasn't that Coach K then. He didn't have the the resume yet. Yeah. No, he didn't. And, you know, look, they had lost in the finals in 90. They lost in the semis in 89. Uh, semis, uh, 87, or 88, 86, they lost in the finals of Louisville. So there were a lot of people questioning, could Coach K win the big like, right. obviously, we look at it, look at things now, and we know, you know, what he's accomplished. But at the time, there were a lot of people questioning, could he get it done? And uh, and so to be a part of that team, to help him win his first NCAA championship, and to get that, you know, that monkey off his back, like that, mm-hmm. that was that was you know a great great feeling and a great sense of accomplishment for us. Now was that something you all were aware of at the time because again since then i've like duke players at black players at duke have also got you know stereotyped a certain way were there these things that you all knew at the time because it was so long ago social media was, it was not a thing were these things that you all as players were aware of at the time you know i think in terms of either whatever stereotypes or you know how people may have prejudged um us you know i i don't think we were we were full, we were aware of that. Um, I understand it. I mean, I understand sort of the racial component and, you know, having white players who were really good um, and how, you know, no offense to anyone from Boston, but growing up in the eighties, like I didn't like the Celtics for the same right. reason. I was a Laker fan. I was a Georgetown fan growing up. And so, I think I understand it now and I understand it after the fact, but in the midst of it, as you said, there was no social media, there was no technology. You know, I read the, the school newspaper. I mean, every once in a while you might get a USA Today. So I, I don't know if we were oblivious maybe to, you know, all of that that was out there in terms of how people perceived Duke and Duke basketball. Uh, we knew that when you came to Duke, our fans were crazy, literally. And uh, and they yelled and screamed and were very creative with their chants. And when we went elsewhere to other teams and we were on the road, they were loud and crazy at us. Right. And, uh, and so you just kind of thought that was college basketball. Right. Some of these underlying sort of tensions that I think existed at the time towards Duke 
and Duke basketball, I, I don't think we were fully, at least I wasn't fully aware of that at the time. Right. Uh, now, you mentioned getting with the Olympic team after you're already in the league, but you also scrimmaged against the 92 Dream Team. Is that correct? Yeah. So how did, how did that come about? Like, what year in school were you? How did you get that call? How did you get in, even involved there? Yeah, after my sophomore year uh, in college, it was uh, 1992. You know, the NBA went from, or excuse me, USA Basketball went from uh, amateurs to now professionals playing in uh, the Olympic Games and playing for the men's national team and women's national team. So they assembled the team. We were all fully aware of that. Of that, um, they had done that the year before, and then, you know, maybe a a month before they met in La Jolla, California, I was asked to be a part of the training squad, the select team to help prepare them. And um, so it was me, Chris Weber, Penny Hardaway, Alan Houston, uh, Bobby Hurley, Rodney Rogers, Jamal Mashburn, Eric Montrose, eight of us. And it was really interesting because it was right before we were on the cusp of being pros ourselves. Mm. Um, but to have the opportunity uh, to play with and spend time with those guys it was surreal. And still to this day, you know, one of the real sort of highlights to my basketball career, being around and in the presence of all that greatness. So the, the rumors of you all beating them in a scrimmage, that's, is that true? Can you confirm that? It's true. The first scrimmage we had against them. We, the very uh, we, first one. Yeah, we beat them. And it was, uh, it was pretty special. And so, um, you know, they had all the great ones out there. We came out, Allen Houston got on fire and, you know, Bobby Hurley was really good and Weber was dominant inside. So, uh, it, it was, a, it was a special, special moment that, uh, that we, uh, got a chance to experience as, as, as young guys, young players and future, you know, NBA players, future NBA stars. Now what happened practice number two, if that was the very first practice, what happened practice number two after the young guys come in ready to go for practice number one? Yeah, you know, I think it woke them up, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, I think, I think if anything, it let them know that if you don't compete, you don't play, you can lose to anyone. And right. um, so scrimmage two, scrimmage three, it was a very different outcome in favor <laughs> of the dream team. Uh, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. That would make sense. Yeah. Uh, so after that, you were part of the 1994 draft. Mm -hmm. Go, like leading into that, was there any talk like you leaving pro, uh, school early? Or did you know like going in or you knew at all times? Or it was just something you didn't really consider because it was a different, you know, era as far as guys going pro early as well? Yeah, it was a different era. I didn't really consider it. Um, after my junior year, I kind of broke my foot. But it wasn't on my radar. I mean, it never dawned on me at that point you know, leaving early. I had fun in school and I still wanted to win. I still wanted to do some magical things while I do. So mm. uh, that, that never really at that moment entered. Uh, you know, I didn't really start thinking about the NBA until the summer before my senior year. Mm. And just knowing that, look, this is my last year. You know, a year from now, I'll be the draft and you know, all these different things. Um, so, you know, that was when I realized, okay, the NBA is like really around the corner. Right. And, um, but, but, but prior to that, I, I just, I had too much fun in college. What do you remember about the draft process? Like you do, you know, you finish your four years, you declare, what do you remember about the, 
Yeah, just the whole entire draft process. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so crazy for me. I mean, I, I, had, I visited two teams. I visited Milwaukee that had the first pick and then also Detroit that had the third pick where I in, ultimately ended up going. Uh, I wanted to be in Detroit. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. want to go to Dallas. Um, Why Detroit? Well, I mean, Dallas was interesting because they had Jimmy Jackson, they had Jamal Mashburn, they needed a point guard. Mm. So I figured they would go after Jason Kidd. And then, you know, Milwaukee, I, I just wasn't excited about Milwaukee at the time. <laughs> Detroit, you know, they were in a bit of transition. They drafted the year before Lindsey Hunter and Allen Houston at the point guard and shooting guard position. So I thought I could slide right in at the, at the small forward position and play along those guys and, you know, kind of build with them. And Detroit had won in, in you know, four or five years prior. So there was just an understanding, I felt, that they knew what it took to win. And so those reasons, amongst others, were, were why I was, you know, excited at the possibility of going to Detroit. So did you know, like, did you find out draft night? Did you know beforehand or did you like going up into it? Did you still think you might end up in Milwaukee? So I went to visit Milwaukee, but I didn't have a great visit. Um, I didn't go visit Dallas. And I think when I was in, the, in the, the green room, I was more nervous. I knew Detroit would take me if I was there. Right. I was worried whether I would be there. If you would be there, yeah. But when they announced Jason Kidd, for Dallas, I think my whole table clapped loud because we knew <laughs> that we were going to get what we wanted. Now you said you had a, a subpar meeting with the Bucks. Was that was that intentional? You mentioned you weren't too uh, enthused about going there. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't. Yeah, it was. I didn't want to be there. Right. So, and I didn't quite understand why I had to go if I didn't want to be there. I was talking to my agent, and I know it's the first pick. You want to show respect for it. You want to come in and compete for it. But I don't know if I really competed. And I and I think big dog Glenn Robinson was – I looked at it like at the draft lottery where they figure out the order mm. of the draft. When Milwaukee ended up getting the first pick, they had a picture of their jersey with Glenn Robinson's <laughs> number on it. So – I just, you know, I figured that they were going to take him. So, right. you know, why do I need to go if they're not going right. to take if him? Right, if either side, you don't want me, I don't want you, why do we have to do this? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you get to Detroit, you get to a team that won, like, I think 20 games the year prior. What do yeah. you remember about that first season getting there? You know, we got off to a decent start. We might have been, like, 8-8. Eight and eight. And then we just had a rash of injuries and people out. And, and, you know, I think the whole starting lineup was out for an extended period of time. Lindsey broke his foot. Um, I think Oliver Miller got hurt. You know, it was just – so it was a bit chaotic in terms of the team and the season. And, you know, I, I felt like, wow, we're, we're, we're there's a reason why they were bad. You know, there's a reason why they right. top draft pick. Um, so it, it, it was – you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was great because you realize the dream and you're finally on that level. Uh, but it was also hard because we weren't having success, and, uh, and and that was that made it difficult, particularly coming off of my time at Duke, where we had incredible success. I was gonna say, yeah, you're, as a freshman in college, you're dropped into a team that just played in the championship game, and now you're kind of handed everything for a team that didn't win many games. Was that a tough transition for you, or was it kind of expected? Like again, you knew you were going to 
one of the top picks, one of the worst teams. So was it expected for you? Um, you know, I think when I arrived there, um, you know, I, you know, maybe I foolishly thought I could come in and right away make a huge difference. Um, but to my point earlier, like it's hard for a young person or a rookie to really lead someone to the promised land throughout the course of the season. Cause there's so much that you just don't know. Right. And there's so much that you're learning and it takes a minute to, to figure that out. But, um, but I, but I loved being in that environment. I loved uh, the idea of playing in Detroit. Um, and, um, you know, it was off and running off to the races and, um, you know, kind of learn on the fly, if you will. And that's what we did. Now, your rookie year, Jordan didn't start that year, but he came back that year, if I'm correct. He what did. Do you remember, what do you remember about that first matchup? Um, you know, I remember Vinny Johnson, who played for the Pistons and was doing radio at the time. He said, look, microwave. Microwave. He said, you got to go at him. You got to go at him. <laughs> yep. And I try, you know, I try. I mean, he was, you know, once you, once you, once you, you know, get past the the intros and put, you know, now the game starts. You get lost in the game, lost in the competition, and you're trying to beat Jordan. You know, you're trying to beat him and his team. And um, but I remember it was sort of a an aha moment. Like here I am, like kind of the marquee matchup, Michael Jordan versus this freshman and um, excuse me, rookie. And um, it was it was exciting. You know, it was exciting to face him and go against the best in the world. Uh, and I think he got the better of me or the better of us that game. But um, that was one of those moments you'll never forget it, the first time and the last time you played against Michael. Mm. So a couple years in Detroit, your star is ascending. I need to know, when did like the acting, when did In Living Single? Yeah. When did, when did that come into the picture? I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say that was my, I knew I made it when In Living Single. Uh, but when did that come into the picture? You know, I, I that summer of 95, so after my first year, okay. I did three things. I did a show called Hang Time, which was, uh, I think, Reggie Theus. And was a Anthony, bunch of Anderson, uh, Anthony Anderson. Basketball. Yeah, I remember that. So I did that. Then I was asked to do, um, was it Hang Time with, uh, with, with uh, Tim, what was his name? Oh, Tim, uh, Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Home Improvement. Home Improvement. Home, Home Improvement. I did that show, but those were just, you know, kind of spot appearances. And uh, I got asked to be on Living Single, and I didn't realize that they asked me, they would ask me to do so much. But <laughs> um, thought you just had a couple lines uh, get in and out? Yeah, I thought I had a couple lines and I'd be on my way. Um, but yeah, that was, I, I remember the reading for it the, the, the first day we were there, and I was like, oh man, I can't do all this. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so anyway. My acting, pretty much the bulk of it consisted in the summer of 95 after my first year. Was that intentional? You were like, I, I've done enough or like it was tougher than I thought or you just didn't really have the interest for it going forward? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. D, very fair. Uh, so you're in Detroit. I'm curious, what was free agency like for you? You know, free agency was... You know, it was a little bit crazy. I mean, I had just gotten hurt. Um, there were in the playoffs. Got hurt in the playoffs in 2000. You know, I think the way that was all managed, 
um, left a kind of a bitter taste in my mouth and really sort of opened me up to the idea of leaving. I don't think I was thinking about leaving before that, you know, really? so before I got hurt. So I was stewing at home. I was upset. I was angry. Uh, and I started thinking about all the things that had happened over the six years I was in Detroit. How we, you know, started off 28 games, went to 46, went to 54, and then we kind of backslid. And you just start looking around and you're like, you know what, I need to be out of here. And um, um, and then, you know, Orlando, Miami, San Antonio, Chicago, New York, all these teams came knocking. And, uh, you know, Orlando just felt like the right fit. I knew Tracy Mack was coming, uh, Tracy McGrady. There was also a chance Tim Duncan. Um, so I was, you know, we were kind of building our own big three, if you will. And uh, it didn't quite pan out that way, though. How close was the Duncan stuff? Because we we hear the rumors now, but how how legit was that? You know, I don't know. I mean, he was definitely interested, and um, you know, you, you see Tim now in his career, and you know, you, you can't imagine him anywhere else. But this was for him was after year two, and um, so I, I don't I don't know how real it was, or you know how much he really was seriously thinking, but. Uh, I know when we went on our visit, I thought we had him. And uh, turns out we didn't. <laughs> no, almost. Uh, almost. <laughs> now, the contract structure has changed from the like rookies then and now. I'm just curious to your thoughts on it because back then, was it six years in Detroit and then you, you left via unrestricted free? Like Detroit didn't have a right to match or did no. they? I'm sorry, I didn't think they had the right to match. Yeah, back then. You know, you, you signed a rookie deal my, when I came out, and all of us signed big rookie deals. After that, they started to slot. And so mm -hmm. you were the first pick. It was, you were gonna, it was already predetermined what you were going to make. And then what happened there was that because you, you accept that, that new structure, then you're quick to be a free agent. You can be a right. free agent in three years. Whereas I signed a seven-year deal with a six-year out. And, um, and that was really, really good at the time. Um, you know, it, 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 um, you know, you, 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 you didn't have the luxury maybe that athletes and players have today. So, you know, I, I still was excited about free agency, still thought I was going to stay mm -hmm. until the playoffs and until I got hurt and, uh, kind of opened my eyes up to like, you know, maybe I need to get out of here. Right. Now you were your own agent for the entirety of your career. No, not, I mean, well, not really. I mean, I had, a, I had an attorney. And so okay. my attorney would negotiate and do deals and contracts. And, you know, certainly I was involved in a lot of that, particularly off the court stuff. But I did have an agent of record, if you will. Oh, but not like an on-hand agent. I was curious to what, what went into that decision. Because a lot of people said, you know, they had an agent and a team and all this. But you, right. said, you had specific people for specific tasks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like, I didn't want. I didn't. Say, I didn't want one person to sort of manage everything, and I wanted to mm -hmm. to move that out. And I also just, you know, I thought of myself as a businessman. I wanted to be a businessman. I felt like businessmen don't do don't do percentages typically. You know, they get mm -hmm. paid by that. You know, so I, you know, I figured the idea of a lawyer was was something. It was a little bit, you know, I won't say ahead of its time, but it was a little bit unconventional it was a forward thinking for sure 
Yeah, but I felt like this this was, you know, I want to own and leverage those relationships, not an agent or agency. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I love the the idea of, of taking that approach. And uh, I think I think we did well. I think it was successful. But I think more importantly, it gave me experience of having employees and, and doing evaluations and sitting in and being a part of the creative for some of these uh, companies and just really learning all aspects of that business was uh, certainly an eye opener. Is this something you'd encourage other athletes to do or think about? Or if coming up in this area, like you said, it's changed. There's entire teams that can do all that stuff if you want. So would, like, would you encourage a player to maybe go that route? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's something that's got to be personal, something that you know works for you as an individual. But yeah, I mean, I think that's something that you know, if, you're, if it's the right person and it makes sense for you, um, yeah, I think no question. You know, I, I you know, I, I learned so much from that experience, and that experience I think really helped sort of establish and lay a foundation for you know my work in and around basketball and many years later. So having that opportunity to, to um, you know, to, to open up and, and have my own sort of office and have employees um, was, was something that was looking back at it many years later. I'm glad I, I'm really glad I did. Hmm. Now, I, I don't want to jump past the rest of your NBA career, but you did mention some of the hats you wore and wear now, uh, including author, including author, uh, wrote the book Game. Why Why was it time for Grand Hill to become an author? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I, I felt like it was time. I mean, just, you know, getting older and you get too far removed, nobody's going to remember you. So, um, but, you know, I had done a lot, had ups and downs and just an incredible journey. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like and feel like everybody has a story, you know, everybody has a story to tell. Um, I think not everybody is willing to tell it, um, but there's something about being that vulnerable. There's something about, you know, exposing yourself to certain things and really forcing yourself to dive into the details uh, and, you know, reflect and recollect and find the value and the life lessons and the meaning from these various um, you know, it's various times in your life. And so that exercise, I, I tell people they everybody should write a book, you know, mm. may not necessarily be published, but the idea of writing it like really, going through the process. It's going through the process, but it also is just giving you a greater appreciation for the totality of your life. What was the toughest part of that process for you? Of writing the book? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think confronting some things that you suppress. I mean, I think going through my injury ordeal and, mm. you know, maybe suppressing a lot of those feelings, a lot of those emotions at the time, really just for survival purposes and to get through it. And then now to come back and have to sort of write about it and live in those moments. Like, I, I don't think I lived in those moments in real time, but I was fortunate enough to live in those moments you know, many, many years later in writing the book. And so uh, you're confronting things about yourself. You're being honest about yourself. I mean, it was just a lot of really, really positives I felt that came from that experience. Was it ever any going back like, oh, man, I like I really was that guy? Or maybe maybe you never forgot that. 
No, I did forget it. I mean, I think when I look back on my career, what was more recent was me being older, being more of a role player, and then being hurt. You know, I didn't think about those Detroit years. I didn't always understand how people may have saw me or perceived me uh, in that way. Um, but, you know, it was, yeah, I got a chance to sort of realize that there were a lot of successes and maybe I didn't celebrate them when they happened. I was so focused and so driven on what was next. Right. I didn't really take a lot of time to look at what just happened, both good and bad. Right. I don't want to to push past, you know, game right now, but what what is next for Grant Hill? You know, you, you wear a lot of hats, you sit on a lot of boards. What yeah. uh what, what's next? Well, you know, I feel like I've I've found a sweet spot in terms of what I enjoy doing. I enjoy uh, working around basketball, and I'm doing that in a number of roles, um, co-owner, television broadcaster. I'm on the board of the NCAA. I'm, I'm on the board of uh, the National Basketball um, Retirement Players, Retired Players Association, on the board of um, the Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm also um, you know, on, on a few corporate boards, including Campbell Soup. And so leadership and sports are two things that really fascinate me. And I get a chance to play in that sandbox. I get a chance to you know, learn and, and exercise and, and apply some of those values necessary for success in both uh, in, 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 you know, in the worlds that I'm in now. And so I love it. I absolutely love it and I enjoy what I'm doing and uh, you know, grateful that I'm able to do some things that I enjoy doing. What's a one last question before we get you out of here? What's something that 18 or excuse me, that you yourself now would tell 18 year old Grant? Uh, first of all, I tell my 18 year old self, get a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, I mean, I think I think really um, enjoy enjoy every minute of it. You know, it mm. goes by so fast. And I played 19 years. Every day is an opportunity and it's a privilege to do to, to be an athlete and and to do it at the highest level. Um, it, it's special. And so just, you know, honor the game by giving it your all and then, um, you know, celebrating the, 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 the accomplishments, you know, and the good, the big ones and also the small ones and right. um, really enjoy it, live in the moment and, um, and have fun. Well, Grant, as you mentioned, you, you wear many hats. You're a busy man. We won't take too much of your time. Uh, thank you so much for stopping by the lounge. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. Got an open seat. Uh, welcome back anytime. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Right. Thank you for stopping by the Legends Lounge, as brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge and be sure to subscribe and rate the lounge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll catch you next time.